Hello and welcome to Balagan, the podcast that will put things in order for a better understanding of Israeli politics. I am Kobe Cohen, a former political advisor and currently a political columnist and Israel educator. In many of my conversations with my American friends and family, I have noticed that Israeli politics is challenging to understand and quite blurry at times. So I'm here to explain how it works, who are the different players, and why the different players are acting the way they act. So if you're interested in getting what's happening in Israel, that's your place. My podcast will be thorough and brief, with many guests, giving you the best information about Israeli politics and society. It will deal with the structure of the political system in Israel, the different groups of interest, the players' history, along with analysis of what is happening today. I promise to be as objective as possible and guarantee it will always be interesting. So stay tuned. For some it seems like forever, but until 1977, the Likud party was an opposition party in Israel. Menachem Begin, Zichrono Livracha, formed Cherut and was Ben-Gurion's nemesis for years. In 1977, the people rebelled the Labour Party and a new era began in Israeli politics. In the next couple of episodes, along with my guest, Mr. Eli Vered Chazan, we will walk through those years. Eli is the director of foreign affairs for the Likud party and a regular guest speaker and contributor to Israeli and international news channels. Eli has served as the advisor to the Minister of Education, parliamentary advisor to the chairman of the Likud faction and the coalition, and holds a master's degree in German history from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And Eli is also a dear friend of mine, and I'm really happy to have you here with us, Eli. Thank so, you, In our first episode, we will actually, as we discussed, we're going to cut it a really long time that the Likud party is in Israel's uh, history and involved in our history. So we decided to cut our discussions to a couple of episodes. So we will be able to give it as deep as possible and to provide a lot of knowledge to the people. So for the first episode, I decided to call it From Delegitimized Opposition to Forming a Government which speaks about the early years of the Likud, or actually the Cherut party. And I would like to pass the mic on to you now, so you can shed some more light on this era. Okay, so first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm honored to be in your uh, podcast. And I'm honored to speak about my party, Likud. In order to understand Likud, at least the big part of Likud, you must start speak about Zev Jabotinsky. He's the founding father of Likud. By the way, when he established a new party, the name was not Likud. The name was Revisionist Party because he objected to the Labour Party, or at least the left bloc in the Zionist organization, mostly to David Ben-Gurion. Jabotinsky was a really rare man in a sense that he was not only a politician, but he was more than that. For a lot of Likudniks like me, Jabotinsky was like a da Vinci. He did a lot of things. I mean, he translated, rehabilitated, uh, or at least to renew the Hebrew in the 1920s and 30s, when we came back to the land of Israel, Jabotinsky was a translator. He used to speak a lot of languages. Or I can give another example why he's so unique. During the First World War, uh, the Zionist movement needed to choose between the Allied forces, United States, Britain, what we call the free world, and Germany, Turkey. At that time, Turkey, the Ottoman Empire, used to rule on Palestine, and the Zionist movement needed to choose. And they decided to be neutral. Jabotinsky said, no, not at all. I choose in the democracies. 
And he was very brave in a sense that many people who used to criticize him, like David Ben-Gurion, for instance, later joined him. And after so many years without having a Jewish army, Zev Jabotinsky created what we call the Gdudim Ivrim, the Hebrew uh, battalions in the British army. In that case, he was like a revolutionary, in a sense, because he created the new things that no one did it before. Let me give you another example, and then I move back to politics. Today, giving equal rights to women, that is the norma. It wasn't like that in the 1920s and 30s. Jabotinsky was the first one, if I remember correctly, to speak about it out loud. Not to mention those who immigrated from the Arab countries, the Mizrahi Jews, and I'm going to speak a lot about Mizrahi Jews. Jabotinsky was the first one in the Zionist movement to treat these kind of publics and moreover integrated them into the revisionist party and to the Irgun, to Etzel. Later I'll speak about it. I, I would say that also in his vision towards the state of Israel, he was promoting equal rights to the, to the Arabs. Arabs. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to refer it later because I want to speak about it in the begging context and I will mention Jabotinsky because it's after the independence war in 1948 and I'm going to refer to it even to Netanyahu in our era. In any case, Jabotinsky, he was in the opposition. I mean, he lost the election in 1933 and Ben-Gurion was a really wise politician. He was able to win the election in 1993 to the Zionist movement. And Jabotinsky, in fact, was in opposition almost all of his life. In 1938, 1939, he warned the Jews of Europe, you must leave Europe because if not, Europe will eliminate you. And another interesting thing, in 1939, 1940, he moved to the United States and remember this story because it has a direct connection to Netanyahu himself. But Jabotinsky passed away in 1940 in New York and in fact, he left the movement without leadership. And Menachem Begin, the future leader of Likud, at that time he was uh, in the years of the outbreak of the Second World War. Menachem Begin used to live in Poland. He was arrested by the NKVD, the father of KGB, and KGB. He was sent to prison. Yeah, he was sent to prison to eight years. By the way, he was supposed to be released in 1948, but in the end he was released in 1941 because the attack of the Nazi Germany against Soviet Union. Menachem Begin was Polish, he was released to get drafted into the Polish army, and then he landed in Palestine at that time in 1942, and in 1943 he became the leader of the Irgun. Now what is Irgun? In Hebrew it is the Etzel. Etzel. Again, it was an opposition underground to the Haganah. The Haganah was the biggest organization among the underground organizations of the Jews in Palestine. And in 1931, because it seems that at that time, the Haganah is too moderate, some of his members uh, quit from the Haganah and created the Etzel. And then Jabotinsky joined them, and he became the supreme leader of Etzel in 1937. And when Menachem Begin landed in Palestine in 1942-1943, they were left without a commander, because the previous commander, David Raziel, at that time, in 1940-1941, because of the alliance between the Jews and the Brits in Palestine against the Nazis, David Azel was sent to Iraq and he was killed there in an operation. Until 1943, the Irgun was without leadership and Menachem Begin was appointed. And in 1943, he declares about the rebel against the British mandate. He led the resistance against the British mandating, against the British regime. In Palestine, by the way, was not by himself. At that time, you have to remember that the Etzel was a minority. 
the big organization was of course Haganah. The Haganah, yeah. But we have to remember that while David Ben-Gurion is the unquestionable leader of the Zionist movement, Menachem Begin was the leader of the Irgun, of the Etzel. And I deliberately mentioned that because when we established the state of Israel, Menachem Begin, he left, in fact, the Etzel. And after the declaration of the independence, he creates what we call the Harut Party. Harut in Hebrew means freedom. And it is very interesting to know that Menachem Begin was quite sure that he is going to win the first election. That happens in 1949. He was quite sure that the people of Israel will thank him and elect him to be the prime minister. But he was elected to be a minority. In the Israeli Knesset, we have 126. Herut got only 14 seats out of 120. It was a big disappointment to Begin. It was a big disappointment to the members of the Etzel. They saw Menachem Begin as the commander, you know, the unquestionable leader, and he's losing. In fact, in 1951, the second election campaign in Israel, the defeat was much worse because we've got only eight seats. Menachem Begin understood that he doesn't have the majority and he deposited a letter of resignation to one of the members of Knesset of Herut. He was quite sure that he's going to retire. At that time, he was after the exams of the Israeli Bureau of the Lawyers. But in 1952, David Ben-Gurion, the Israeli government, signed a reparation agreement with Germany. Menachem Begin objected it like many other forces in the Israeli political system. Herut was not alone. If you take, for instance, uh, MAPAM, which was a leftist party, ultra-socialist, some of them even supported Stalin and the Soviet Union. Of course, they objected to the reparation agreement with Germany. They portrayed as an agreement with the new Nazi Germany, the new fascists at that time. And I'm speaking about the socialists, not about Menachem Begin, but Menachem Begin objected it because he said that we cannot forgive to the Germans. Why I'm mentioning that? Because he came back to the stage in 1952-1953, he created his new leadership. Now, you have to remember another thing. When we established the State of Israel, Herut Party was not the only party who belonged to the revisionist members. We had another party, the name is Rashimat al-Ohamim, those who were members of Lehi, of the Stern Gang at that time, they got only one seat. Who were leaning more towards the right from the Irgun. They were more radical than the Irgun. Yeah, but absurdity or not, after the establishment of the State of Israel, they supported very much Soviet Union because they hated the British. Yeah, but, they actually uh, offered to join forces with fascist Italy yeah, in, in their exactly after World War II. It connects to what we call the circle of the extremism. Why I'm mentioning that? Because the Rashimata Lohamin, the fighters list, was not the only list. They got only one seat in the election of 1949. Itzhak Shamir, the future prime minister of Likud, was a member of Rashimata Lohamin. But we have another party, the name is Revisionist Party, but they did not make the threshold in 1949. In the end, Menachem Begin was able to create a kind of an image that is the only leader of the right bloc of Herut. And of course, since 1955, that election campaign, Herut gets 17 seats. They go up more and more and more. But again, Menachem Begin was portrayed as a kind of a lunatic. He was compared many times to Mussolini, to Hitler, to other fascist leaders, and it worked. I mean, in many ways, as you know, Labour Party was in power for 29 consecutive years. Mapai, Mapai. <laughs> Mapai. They were called Mapai at the time when the land of Israel was formed. 
then they switch to Ma'arach, and then they turn to the Labour Party. Uh, yeah, but we have to remember one thing. At that time, for so many years, they've been in government right. with a big majority. I mean, the peak was in 1969 with 56 seats, which is almost half of the Knesset. In the history of the State of Israel, no one could get more than half of the Knesset, but the big Ma'arach, as they called themselves in 1969, was the closest to get... And we also need to remember that it was after the Six-Day War. The atmosphere in Israel was very supportive. But yeah, when we speak about Menachem Begin, he understood in the middle of the 1950s, more or less, there is no specific date, that if he wants to be prime minister, he cannot run anymore by himself. He must bring more forces in order to take over. By the way, it happens to a lot of leaders. What comes from, you know, the radical forces, they understand that in order to take over, you must be more moderate. So the first step was in 1965. The liberals joined Menachem Begin. They created a new faction. The name in Hebrew is Gachal, Gush Cherut Liberalim, Cherut Liberals Bloc. They get 26 seats in 1965. And you have to remember one more thing. Menachem Begin was illegit to the Labour Party members for so many years. By the way, not only for them, but to a lot of people in the Israeli political system. Well, Ben-Gurion despised him. He said he had the famous uh, sentence, Bli cherut ve-maki, without uh, cherut and maki. Maki were the Communist Party. Those were the two parties that he despised the most. And as I said at the beginning, with Begin, it was completely uh, personal. <laughs> Yeah, 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 he hated him, by the way. Uh, another thing that we need to remember that Ben-Gurion created what we call the Noma of without Cherut and Maki, a government without Cherut and Maki. Yeah. Maki were the communists, and uh, Ben-Gurion outcasted them out of the government, both of them. Why I'm mentioning that? Because in 1963, Ben-Gurion retired, Lavi Eshkol replaced him, and Lavi Eshkol was more moderate than yeah. Ben-Gurion in a sense that he was willing to accept Menachem Begin to be legit. Right. The first step that uh, Levi Eshkol did was to bring the bones of Zev Jabotinsky to be buried in Mount Herzl in Israel. Ben-Gurion objected it. He despised Jabotinsky. used to call him Vladimir Hitler. It was the nickname. Why Ben-Gurion to Jabotinsky? Levi Eshkol break this kind of norma. He brought the bones of Zev Jabotinsky. And in 1967, when he created the unity government, invited Begin to be a minister in his cabinet. In fact, he broke, I would say, the boycott against Menachem Begin by Labour or by Mapai or the Ma'arach. That I would say that he actually legitimized him. Exactly, in many ways, not only in one way. Now, before we proceed, I want to speak about the human nature of the Herut members, because it was changed completely in the last 40, 50 years. When Menachem Begin created Herut, most of the members of the party, and I would like to emphasize, most of the members, not the voters of the party, were Ashkenazi, Polish. Most of them were members of what we call of the Irgun and Lehi and the Seren Gang. We used to call it in Hebrew, Hamishpacha Lochemet, the fighting family. It was a kind of a club, and the ingredients of Zcherut were mostly the members of the fighting family. Yeah. Now, of course, they had uh, Mizrahi members, of course, marketeers, business owners, but the big majority of the members of the party, central committee members, were what we call the members of the fighting family. It was yeah, like... It was the hardcore. It, it was, was the, the hardcore. hardcore. By the way, they believed in Menachem Begin very much. They used to call him the commander. This is how they used to approach him, the commander. 
Why I'm saying that? Because during the 1950s, the 1960s, as you know, Kobe, we have a new waves of immigration of those who immigrated from the Arab states. Like in any other society, they wanted to take part in the government and they were not allowed to do it because what we call the veteran members of labor did not let them. So the alternative was to join Menachem Begin. It started in 1950s in small numbers, and the more Menachem Begin comes into, you know, the mainstream, the more members joined him. Moreover, another thing to remember, in 1970, Itzhak Shamir, if you remember, we spoke about him, he has a big, I would say, contribution to the new phase of Likud, as we call it. Why? Because Itzhak Shamir, and not only him, even as a Weizmann was uh, one of the commanders of the Israeli Air Force, a high rank in the Israeli Defense Forces. Yeah. He was uh, the nephew of Chaim Weizmann, the first okay. president of the State of Israel. So in 1967, if I remember correctly, or later. Uh, 69, to... if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah 1969, after, you're right. After he left the army, he wanted to become the chief of staff and they wouldn't let him. Uh, he had a big rivalry, by the way, at that time with Rabin, who would not name him as a successor. Uh... I understand. So what he has done, he joined uh, Gachal with Itzhak Shamir after he was, you know, a fighter in, in Lechi, in Stern Gang. Again, they were boycotted by Ben-Gurion, but in some point in the 1950s, Ben-Gurion decided uh, to call upon those who were members of the Stern Gang, some of the members, including Itzhak Shamir, and to bring them to Mossad, and they became Mossad agents. Itzhak Shamir retired from the Mossad in the end of the 1960s, he joined Likud, he became one of the leaders of Likud, and in fact, he changed the destiny and the history of the party. Why? Because he became the head of the organization department of Gachal. In that case, he had a lot of power in his hand, and he decided to open up branches in what we call in Israel the periphery. Be'er Sheva, Ofakim, Yerucham, in the north, in the south, all those neglected places, and he decided to make Gachal more democracy, in a sense that they bring more members to the party, mostly Mizrahi members, by the way, and they are starting to change the human nature or the human identity of Gachal. That was in the 1970s. Now we have to move forward to 1973. In 1973, right before the Yom Kippur War, Menachem Begin uh, decided to create what we call Likud, as known today. So what is Likud? Is the Harut party? Is the liberals? Is what we call the Free Center? This is a party that was established by Shmuel Tamir, was a member of Harut, tried to compete against Menachem Begin, failed like many other people, and decided to retire. He came back in 1973 with the Merkaz Chofshi, Free Center as they call it. Again, he decided to quit in 1977 and joined to Dash. Dash was a center party in the election of 1977 with 15 seats. He later became a minister of justice in Begin first cabinet. But in 1973, we still speak about forming Likud. The fourth ingredient of Likud was what we call the movement for the complete Eretz Israel. Atnual Eretz Israel Ashlema, if I have to translate it as such. Those are a very interesting people who used to belong to the left wing in the past, mostly to Mapai, to Labour, because they were in favor of, you know, annexation of Judea and Samaria, Gaza, and the Golan Heights, they created this movement, and they decided to merge into Likud. And the fifth ingredient, which was the most interesting one, is what we call the Reshima Mamlachtit, the national list. I don't know how to translate it 
It's technically a good translation. Yeah, but what is interesting about it, you remember when I spoke about the hatred of David Ben-Gurion against Menachem Begin, David Ben-Gurion was the founder of Arashima Mamlachtit, and in 1970-something he decided to retire, and those who followed him decided to join to Likud. Now, for us, we see it as a poetic justice. The followers of Ben-Gurion joined Menachem Begin. This is how we established Likud in 1973. And of course, Likud became the most important ingredient in the right block. Now, we have to remember that until 1977, Menachem Begin was in the opposition. If we go back, a lot of people, including my father, who was a big supporter of Likud, he told me that during the election campaign in 1977, even him did not believe that Menachem Begin will be able to win the election But in fact, that's exactly what's happened after 29 years in opposition. And if you think about it, it's more than 29 years. It's 28 years since the establishment of the State of Israel between, you know, 1948 into 1977. But if you remember correctly, Ben-Gurion won the election for the Zionist movement in 1933. It means that 44 years in a row we were to the opposition. And Menachem Begin was able to win the election and in fact to change the destiny and the history of the State of Israel for good and for bad. We must be uh, frank about it. And that was the first introduction to Likud as we know it. Now, it is very important to remember those details because I'll go back in the future to speak about it, the human ingredient of the movement, the outcome of this, you know, unifications inside the right block. I want to mention one more thing because it has a relation to our days. In 1967, when we, I would say, released the territories, my friends, my counterparts from the left wing would say occupy, but in 1967, when we released uh, the territories, it is crucial to understand the position of Likud in general. Why I'm mentioning that, and if we have time, I want to focus about it. We will focus about it. I think it's a critical thing. By the way, the neutral uh, term would be just conquered, you know, because eventually it was a military maneuver. We had a war, and uh, in war, you either uh, conquer land or you lose land, so... No, no, I don't, see it. I don't <laughs> see it as such. Don't forget, it was promised to us by the British mandate that was given by the League of Nations. Wait, wait. Eli, I'm not getting into the argument about the territories at the moment. So I would like to go back... The uh, homeland. I'm just giving you a different term if you want to consider it. I want to go back to Begin, because eventually, as you said, you know, Begin actually started his role as a, the head of opposition in the Zionist movement, and later on in the land of Israel in 1933. And it's very uncommon, especially in Israeli politics, but not just in Israeli politics, that you will have actually the same person leading an opposition. I mean, usually people will say, hey, listen, this guy, you know, if I'll speak freely, he's a loser. We need to change the head, you know, that's why we are not winning. What was his magic or what was his source of power that he was able, you know, okay. to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand the question. First of all, remember that fact when we will speak about Netanyahu, Likud does not replace his leaders. Remember that fact. I mean, for so many times, I was told that Netanyahu, you know, he did a lot of bad things to the movement. He took over, not democratically. It's not true. The Likud members have a habit. Do not replace, do not vote against the leaders. Yeah. And I'll speak about Sharon later. 
First of all, um, he was the commander of it, the Irgun. If we'll compare the Likud and the Labour Party, may rest in peace, the Likud Party had only five, uh, no, four. Oh. Four, four, because four. it was Netanyahu, Sharon, and then Netanyahu again. Yeah, Only four, four, four persons, four leaders leading the Likud party, while the Labour party had more than 15 different leaders throughout the years. And the average term after Ben-Gurion was no more than two and a half years per person to if lead. It, if you look at it in the last 20 years, it's much less. It's I much less. Expect- That's why I'm averaging that to two and a half years and I'm giving them credit with that. <laughs> <laughs> I can explain this phenomenon. If you remember, I spoke about the family of the fighters. For them, Menachem Begin was like the father. He was the commander. Now, you have to remember the background. They were persecuted by the Labour Party. They felt that they were under the siege. And in fact, because, if I have to explain it, they have nothing to fight about. Usually when you are in power, you fight about, you know, power, resources, and things like that. For the Herut members, they had nothing. More than that, at that time, the, the state of Israel was completely socialist in a sense that almost everything belonged to the state. And if it belongs to the state, you cannot compete against it. So, in fact, it created what I call a psychological effect among the members of Herut. Now, besides that, if you look in Begin, Begin knew how to speak with people. Right. He knew to speak the language. I can tell you about my father. My father is a member of Herut, he's a Mizrahi. Although, you know, my uncle, my family used to be part of the fighting family, they were not, you know, of those leaders. And when Menachem Begin started to speak, my father, you know, he was charmed by him. It's more than that. So he had this kind of effect. Now, another phenomenon that you have to understand, they were very much the members of Herut, a dedicated ideological. And Menachem Begin spoke about the complete Eretz Israel, Eretz Israel Ashlema, and he was the only one to give it to them in a complete sense. More than that, he was very humble, very modest, and for them he was portrayed as a leader. I must tell you that I joined the political system because of Menachem Begin, and the more years go by, I have a lot of criticism against him from the other side. That's discover, interesting. Yeah, yeah. You discover a lot of things that you cannot appreciate. I mean, I still admire him. But in the end, I really think that he was, you know, too delicate. In the political system, you cannot be a gentleman. You need to be like Ben-Gurion. And Menachem Begin was a gentleman. And in the political system, mainly in Israel, you want to take over power, you cannot be a gentleman. You need to win. And that's the difference. And I can tell you, you know, more in a perspective that, um, for instance, take the reparation agreement with West Germany. I grew up in a family that objected Germans and West Germany. And then when times go by, you understand that Ben-Gurion, he was very wise yeah. in, you know, taking the money from Germany because Israel was very poor at that time. We used to live in what we called Kufat Atsena, the humble period. We absorbed two times of the population. Three of times, Israel. actually, almost three times. You know, I'm speaking about 1952. I mean, at the beginning, it was we doubled the population in we three doubled years. doubled, yeah. And then we tripled it. But in that time, David Ben-Gurion, it was very practical. Now, why I'm telling you that, because, and this is another thing that I've learned. In the opposition, you can say whatever you want about values, about ideology, and in the end, when you become a prime minister, you have a reality. And, and you have responsibility. Exactly. Responsibility was the second word that I was looking for. And why I'm mentioning that? Because Menachem Begin, all of his life, was against territorial concessions, against giving up territories. And he gave up the complete territory of Sinai in return of the peace treaty with Egypt. 
Now, it was against all of his values for so many years. Now, of course, he explained that, you know, Sinai is not Judea and Samaria, not Gaza, not, not the Golan Heights. But in the end, you understand in retrospective that it's different. When you are in power, you have responsibility. And Menachem Begin understood it very much. I think it was Sharon who said the term, Dvarim sheroim mikan lo roim misham. Things that you see from one point, you don't see from another point. Yeah, he's completely right. I agree with him. Yeah. So Begin was really controversial in his early years, and he really turned to be one of the most recognized leaders. And I would say that now, you know, with Bibi, even, uh, <laughs> it's funny because even lefties are saying, oh, what Begin did or what Begin said about the Supreme Court, it's not the topic of what we are dealing. I'm okay, just sorry, putting it... There are hypocrites in a sense that Menachem Begin, he was portrayed as a fascist. Today I know. they portray him as a human rights, you know, Nobel. No, Menachem Begin was portrayed in the worst possible way. And it is so funny because I came to the conclusion that 30 years from now, the leftists will speak about Netanyahu as if they speak about Menachem Begin. Who knows? We'll see about that. We'll <laughs> talk about it in 30 years. But what I wanted to say, you were talking about Begin and he had the charisma and he knew how to speak to the people. I would actually say that he is also the first leader in Israel who was talking about Judaism. Later on, when we'll get in our next episode, when we'll get to his coalition, he was actually the first one to let Aguda in and to form a coalition with the Haredim, who were usually supporting, you know, Mapai from outside. But he was always, he had a strong Jewish identity. Some will say that it was like a shtetl Jew, but he had a strong sense of Judaism in him. And he was the first one to use it. I remember in all of his speeches, you know, he would just to say, Yehudim, like in his uh, loud voice. Yeah, yeah, I can add to that, that his first interview to the Israeli television, he was asked by Yaakov Achimir, the political commentator of Channel One. At that time, we had only one channel. Only one. Yeah. How you're going to make your government, how you're going to govern? And he said, in a good Jewish style. And he was the first prime minister to approach the Western Wall after he was elected. Until then, the prime ministers were completely secular, uh, Ashkenazi. Of course, Menachem Begin was Ashkenazi himself, but without any Jewish sense. Now, it is very important to make it clear what we mean. Those who immigrated in the second Aliyah, in the second immigration, they rebelled against their parents who were ultra-Orthodox, and they created what we call the new Jew. The new Jew. Secular, has no connection to the religious Judaism. It's not, yeah, it's a strong connection to the culture. To it's the a religion. weak connection to the religious itself. Yeah, a socialist, atheist in a sense. And Menachem Begin was the first prime minister who brought the opposite, the complete opposite. His argumentation was completely different. And you asked me how he became so strong. Don't forget, the Mizrahi Jews who immigrated from the Arab states, they had, and even until today, the same sentiment of religion. We are not religious, you know, fanatic religious. But on the other hand, we have a lot of respect to the Jewish religion more than that. If you read Jabotinsky's scriptures, it was completely secular, Jabotinsky. Yeah. But he spoke about dignity or respect to religion, to the Jewish religion as part of the identity. Even in that case, Begin was the follower of Jabotinsky, but there is one difference between them. Menachem Begin was more traditional, I mean, right. by keeping the mitzvahs by himself. Jabotinsky was completely secular. Secular. 
in his personal life. Begin was more than that. He was almost religious. I call it traditional, in a sense. Yeah, that is true. I mean, Menachem Begin was observant, he was observing the Shabbat, if I remember correctly. And not he was. Not all the mitzvahs in Shabbat, but yeah. No, I, I mean, in general. So it's really interesting to look at it, uh, not just from the historic uh, approach, but in overall, that, you know, Menachem Begin led by example in a way, and his actions actually made a change in Israel. In our next episode, we're going to speak about the Ma'apach in 1977. We call it upheaval. What? The, political, the first political upheaval of 1977. And you will explain to us why he called it like that. Okay. And we're going to go more into depth with what happened with the peace treaty with the Egyptians, his alliance with Ezer Weizmann, and later on also with Sharon, who started as his ally with Shlom Tzion, and then... Uh, became one of the biggest stones at that time, I would say, in a way, on his heart and especially on his government with the Lebanon war. Um, Minister of Defense, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, due to the committee... He needed to resign because of the massacre in Sabah and Shatila in 1982, but we will speak about it. Yeah, so we'll get to all of it in our next episode. So I want to thank you for now. And I'm looking forward to record our next episode. Okay, have a great day. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan www.balagan.ltd for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now and have a great day.